Oh, I'm still here. I wasn't expecting to be so, up the front here at least. Um, so the baby has still not come, but uh, Jill has an appointment tomorrow at RPA and so the doctors then will decide what to do. She's now five days overdue and um, so I've given up trying to predict when it will arrive. So um, I believe that it is a sign of your prayers for me for patience. Uh, are being answered by our loving God. So continue to pray for for Jill and myself. Uh, Hopefully the baby will be here by next Sunday and um, we'll have welcomed a child into our lives. All right, but we do appreciate your prayers. Before we look into God's word, let us now speak with him. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending your son into the world. We thank you for what he did at the cross. But we also thank you for the words that he spoke that are recorded here in Matthew's Gospel, this fabulous Sermon on the Mount that has so much truth in it, that it is all truth, that it is so instructive for us and it applies even today, so many years after Jesus first gave this message. We pray that we may indeed be instructed this morning that you may soften our hearts, that our hearts may indeed be transformed and changed this morning and that we may be motivated all the more to serve you as faithfully as we can. And we pray this in your son's precious name. Amen. Well, I've always had a bit of a love affair with salt. It has always been one of those things that I've quite enjoyed. I remember after I'd first started uh, dating Jill, I'd been invited over to her parents' place for a number of occasions for dinner. And at first, while you're there, you don't put too much salt if you like lots of salt, so you're sort of polite. And then I got a little bit bolder as I, as I um, was extending my relationship with Jill and I'd been invited over a number of times and I'd got to know them. So one night I started to put on as much salt as I quite like to have on my food and Jill's sister, Agar, said, Joel, surely you don't need that much salt on your food. And I realised I need to back off for a little bit longer. But these days I I tend to put it on and they don't seem to pay much attention to what I do. I think they have realised that I do like my salt. It is one of those things that some of us really do enjoy. We love to have salt and lots of it on our food. And Jesus is, of course, aware of salt as well. Salt is not a new invention. It was very common at the time of Jesus. And so he uses it as an illustration here in the Sermon on the Mount. He actually uses two illustrations here of common household objects. Uh, He was obviously speaking to the common man here as well as to wealthy people who would come and listen. But he went for two objects that everyone would know about. And that is the illustration of salt and the illustration of light. And that's what we're looking at this morning in Matthew chapter 5. If you've got a Bible there, it'd be good to have it open. And we're looking at Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through to verse 16. And he gives this illustration in one paragraph there, verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. And the other is in verse 14, you are the light of the world. And so we're going to be looking at these two metaphors this morning that Jesus calls us salt and light. So my first main point then is... You are to be salt. You are to be salt. Well, the question then is, how? How do I function as salt? Jesus calls me salt here. What does that mean? How am I meant to be salt? Well, what is the function of salt? I've mentioned one function of salt is taste. But at the time of Jesus, salt was very important for another reason. 
and that was for preservation. They didn't have refrigerators, they didn't have freezers at the time of Jesus Christ and so they had a problem with meat rotting. And how would you stop the meat from rotting? Well, you'd put a lot of salt over it. Everything was coated in the salt to stop the meat from going off. And that, I believe, is what Jesus is getting at with us as Christians. He calls us to be salt to prevent the world from around us decaying. Because the world around us does not believe in Jesus Christ and they have no inclination to follow God's laws, they are decaying around us. They are like rotting meat around us. Their only purpose is to continually decay more and more, to rot more and more. And you see that. And we're always trying to push the boundaries as to how far we can rot without anyone objecting. And Jesus says, you are to be the salt of the earth to stop it decaying even further. He doesn't say there's other salt of the earth. He says, you are the salt of the earth. At the time, there was all kinds of Greek philosophy around and he could have gone with that kind of knowledge and said, you are the salt of the earth as well as the Greek philosophers of the age and the law of the land, Caesar, he's the salt of the earth. He stops people with his sword from decaying even further. No, he doesn't say that. He says, Christians... You are the salt of the earth. If the earth is to be stopped in its decaying, then it has to be you guys that are the salt that prevent it from going off even further. So how do you function as salt? Well, you stop the world decaying by warning people what they're doing is wrong, by doing good deeds to show them what is the right way to go. You stop people from going any further down the road of sin. And it's amazing as Christians that this happens from time to time. You actually see the impact that a Christian has as they walk into a room, that people will stop blaspheming the name of God and they'll actually apologise for doing it. It's incredible that they, they do it, but you have this effect. You walk into the room, they know you're a Christian and they'll stop using Jesus' name in vain and if they forget to, do, uh, to stop doing it, they apologise. They even may stop with other coarse language. You have this effect as you go into the room and they may be discussing something that is a sinful uh, behaviour and they will suddenly realise, oh, there's a Christian here, they don't approve of this and so they will stop discussing it. You have this effect upon people. They know that you don't approve of what they're doing and so you actually stop people from sinning any further. You give them a standard and you say, this is not acceptable. And the world so often doesn't know what's acceptable. This whole thing that's erupted in the media this week with this guy Matthew Johns, I don't follow any football, but um, I, 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 so I hadn't actually heard of this guy until it came out in the media this week. But you see these people, these media commentators, trying to say it's wrong but then try and have a reason for saying it's wrong. They're trying to wrestle with it. Is it wrong? Between consenting adults, is anything wrong? And some people say no. If you've got two consenting adults, it's okay whatever you want to do. But we as Christians say no. You can have two consenting adults to anything but if God doesn't approve of it, then it is wrong. And we as salt are called to make such statements. We're to say that is wrong what has taken place. People may not like it. It may be like salt in a wound and it irritates the person. 
but we are called to be the salt of the earth and to warn them that what they are doing is wrong, to preserve them from committing further sin. And this is, uh, this is something that, we, that the culture starts to realise that they need some standards out there. In the Sun Herald this morning, on this whole affair with Matthew Johns, it says, uh, a commentator said, standards across the entire board need to be lifted. He was making a remark that in the culture there is this increasing sexualisation of everything around us and so it's not just a problem with footballers, it's a problem across the board and it said the standards across the, board, across the entire board need to be lifted. How do you do that? How do you lift the standards when you don't know what's right and wrong? Well, Christians have to be there saying this is what the standard is. No one else of this earth gets to set the standard. It is only Christians and we have to constantly be working against them. Now this may seem intimidating because there is such a big bad world out there and we often feel very small, particularly if we're the one person in the room who's a Christian. But it's interesting with salt. I like it a lot, but there is such a thing as too much salt and it doesn't take too much time as you're shaking the salt shaker to get too much salt on your food. If you compare how much salt I put upon my chips, there's a very small amount when you actually would weigh it up. How much salt is here and how much chips are here? It doesn't take much of an impact, much salt, to make an impact upon your food. And so it is with us. It doesn't take many Christians to have an impact upon people. One Christian in a room of ten people can have an impact. Ten Christians amongst a hundred people can have an impact. We may be outnumbered, but we have an impact, just as a little bit of salt, a couple of grains of salt, can have an impact upon a large amount of food. And so we have to be ready to be the salt of the earth, even though it may seem intimidating at times. And it may be like salt in a wound that it irritates. We are called to be that salt to stop the world decaying any further. But Jesus also warns us in verse 13. He warns us of a danger that we can have as salt. What is that danger? He says in verse 13, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. There is a danger that salt can lose its saltiness. Now what is Jesus getting at there? Some commentators seize upon this and say, oh, Jesus doesn't know what he's talking about. Of course salt can't become unsalty because then it's not salt. You can't have salt that isn't salty. Sodium chloride always is salty. But Jesus isn't teaching chemistry here uh, and what he's teaching is people who are aware of the salt of their day. Now, the salt of Jesus' time wasn't like the salt of our day where it's all nicely refined and when you shake it out of the salt shaker you get nothing but salt. In Jesus' time the way you got salt was along the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea has a lot of salt in it and along the edges of the Dead Sea you would pick up the salt there. But of course their salt would have little bits of sand and other things in it contaminating it. And it was very easy for the salt, which is easily diluted, to be washed away from the bulk of the material. And so you have a little bit of salt left in amongst it, but it was mainly sand and other bits of um, material that contaminates the salt. And so it actually became useless. 
And that's what Jesus is warning us of here, is that the salt can become unsalty in the fact that it can become contaminated. And that is one of the greatest dangers for us as Christians, is that we can be, become contaminated by the world around us. We as Christians are to go out into the world and be salt, but as we're out there, we still have sinful natures in us that are attracted to what they're doing and so we can actually want to take some of those sins on board and start doing them ourselves. And then we just become like the rotting meat of the world. We aren't like salt at all, we've become unsalty. Yes, there may be some sort of, uh, deep down, there may be some sort of salt there that's left over, but it has become so contaminated that it's not worth anything anymore. What does Jesus say it's worth for? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. And I think one of the clearest illustrations of this is people who claim to be Christian but then go out, they claim to be salt, but then they go out and they behave like people of the world. And so they're not really part of the world because the world doesn't want them because they can't claim to be Christian. And then they're not really part of Christianity because they behave like the world and so they're in the middle here. And they're not good for the, um, for the world and they're not good for Christians and so they eventually are just thrown out altogether along with the world. But and you don't really know where their allegiance is. And so uh, Jesus says it's no longer good for anything, that kind of salt. It's not good for the fertilisation. You, you don't put it on the ground to fertilise the plants because it contaminates there and you don't uh, have it for salt because it's not really salty at all. And all it is is to be thrown out and trampled by men. And that is the danger for us. Are we simply people who claim to be Christian but are really unsalty salt? We've let ourselves become contaminated by the world and one day we will simply be thrown out and trampled by men because we're neither salt nor the world. We're in between, which in the end God throws out with the world as well. We have to be careful that as salt we don't let ourselves become contaminated. So we are to be salt of the earth. The second main point then is you are to be the light of the world. Verse 14, you are the light of the world. So we're called to be light. How do we function as light? What is light uh, what are we to do? We're called the light of the world. How do, we do, how do we become the light of the world? How do we act as the light of the world? Well, what is the function of light? We looked at what is the function of salt to understand how we are to function as salt. We're to act as a preservative of the world to stop it decaying. How are we to function as light? What is the function of light? Well, light allows us to act as we should. It allows us to function well. I used to work as a podiatrist and you're handling a scalpel all day long and um, that's pretty much most of your work. You've got a scalpel in your hand and there's always that risk that you're going to slice the patient's foot open. And so we were taught very early on what are the, what are the dangers, what are the risks that are going to let you uh, slice the patient's foot. And there's things like tension on the skin. If you don't have enough tension then you're, you're likely to cut the patient as well. But one of the big factors for not... Uh, cutting the patient is if you've got enough light. You've got to have adequate light on the foot so you can see what you're doing. And so when I used to go on home visits, 
the patient would say, oh, where would you like me? And I'd try and get them outside if possible. If you can get out into a veranda, that would be good. If, and, but if you have to do it indoors, you put the blinds up, you turn lights on, even though it may not seem like the lights are doing much with the blinds up. You get as much light into the room as possible so that you can function at your best and not cut the patient. And it's the same. We see, you know, why don't the tradesmen, why don't builders work at 2am? because they can't see what they're doing. They wait until it's light. I think they should wait a little bit later of the morning, not start as early as they sometimes like to, but they wait until there is light so they can function at their best. And it is the same with us as Christians in the world. We function as light in the world so that people know what is the right way to behave. They have been made as creatures, as humans, and they are called upon to function the way that God wanted them to function, but they don't know how. And so we are called as Christians to be light so that they know how they are to function. And so this is kind of like the positive, whereas the salt is like the negative. What does salt do? It stops them decaying any further. What does light do? It says, this is the way you should be going. So Jesus has got both a sort of a negative and a positive. He's got the red light here, stop decaying, don't do this, don't do that. And then he's got the light here, the positive, saying green light, do do this, do this, do that. This is how I want you to behave. And so that's how we're to function in the world. We're meant to tell people, no, that is wrong. And this is the way that you should be doing that thing, that this is the right way to go. And so we need to do this even though it may seem an insurmountable task as well. Just as with salt, a little bit goes a long way, so with light, a little bit goes a long way. The world is in darkness and it seems oppressive, it seems like we won't make much of an impact if we make a stand for this, but a little bit of light can allow someone to function very easily if they've just got that little bit. We've been uh, trying to get a night light for the, the room, for the nursery, uh, as we've been setting it up. And it's amazing how just a, a little bit of light from one of these night lights can give enough light for you to walk around in the room and to see what is there. It may seem like a very little light, but it is enough. And so it can be with you. You may seem like you're just a little light and it's not worth shining but a little bit of light can go a long way and can make a big impact upon people. And I remember a, a, a story that my father once told of, of someone making a big impact with just a little thing, uh, a little kind word here. Uh, it was uh, a school teacher told him, my father is a school teacher, and another school teacher told him this story about this little boy who lived out in Campbelltown, uh, came and from a very abusive home where he saw no reason to live. He, he, he saw that the world was a terrible place and he had no drive to live except that every morning as he crossed the road to go to school, the lollipop man was standing there and would say, Good morning, sunshine. And that little boy looked forward to that greeting every day because he saw that someone in the world cared about him and actually thought he was worthwhile, that he was a little piece of sunshine. And so that little boy had the courage to get up every day because of that one little act, that one little kind act was sustaining him and keeping him going. And it can be the same with us. We can 
move the moral standard up of a room so easily and we can, it doesn't need to be that we, we get onto things of, of Christianity but at the checkout. It's very easy to make conversation with people there, to be kind to them. They look down on a long shift and you can just be friendly to them and you can have a kind word to them and that's what we are called to do as light. We are called to be kind and loving to all those we come into contact with regardless of who they are. We can alleviate any decaying that's going on in the room as salt and actually point it in a positive direction as light. But what is the danger with being light? There was a danger with salt that we could become unsalty. Jesus warns us of a danger of being light. What is that danger? Verse 14, You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. There is always that temptation as light to, be, to hide our light rather than, let, than to let it shine. We're supposed to be what Jesus calls a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. In, the, in Jesus' time they used to always build the cities up on a hill. Sometimes they would build them out of sight but they were ones that didn't want to have any contact with the, the people around them. The city on the hill was a place that you could see at night and run to and flee to if you were lost out in the wilderness. A city on a hill gives great light. And so that is what we're supposed to be. We're not supposed to hide our light as the stupid person does if he puts a lamp, Jesus describes, a lamp and puts it under a bowl. The light is then useless. You light a light so that it gives light to the entire room. You don't light a light and then stick it under something because it's a waste of having the light. And so we as Christians have to be very careful about just wanting to stay around other pieces of light, hang around other Christians, remove ourselves from the world. And that has been one of the great dangers with monasticism, with monks in monasteries, that they go away from the world and they no longer have an impact on the world, they're just caring for themselves. They're just wanting to hang around other pieces of light so that they are okay and they just they don't want to shine out in the darkness. But then they become useless to God. God wants them out there making a difference in the world. He wants them shining out there. And so we're not called to be monks and go off to a monastery and stay there in some sort of closed community. And you see this with other communities like the Amish. They withdraw, they want just their people there so that they aren't contaminated by the world. But Jesus says, no, don't hide your light. Get out into the world and shine around. That's what I want you out there doing. And so we are called to do this. And one of the dangers that we can have as Christians, I even, a lot of people aren't going to go and be a, a monk or a nun in a monastery and a lot of you probably aren't going to uh, go and join some little community and, and have high walls and not let anyone in who's not a Christian. But one of the temptations that is often put upon us is to withdraw ourselves from state, from having an impact upon politics. People say church and state aren't linked. Well, yes, they aren't linked in the sense that they were in the past where you have a state church that everyone is supposed to go to, 
But we are still linked to the state and the state knows that and likes that. We still pay taxes as Christians. They don't say church and state aren't linked so all the secular people, all the atheists pay taxes but everyone else doesn't have to pay tax. No, they want us to pay tax. They want us linked in with the state but they may not want us to have a voice within the state. But we have a right as we pay taxes but we also The reason why we have a voice in the state is because Jesus says you're supposed to. You're supposed to be making an impact upon those around you. You are the light of the world. You are the ones who are supposed to be out there shining and saying this is the way you are supposed to live. And so we're meant to have a voice out there. We're meant to say homosexual marriage, no, we don't want that to take place. It will lead people into sin. Euthanasia, no, we don't want that to take place. We don't want people thinking that they have to put themselves to death because there is nothing good in the world for them. We should get around them. People who have suicidal thoughts are meant to be encouraged that there is still something in this life for them. We're not meant to say, oh well, yes, we'll let you put yourself out of your misery. We're supposed to be caring for them and loving them and so we don't want laws like that coming into place. We don't want abortion laws. We don't want them, people killing young infants who are in the womb and so we should react against that. We should be light shining in the state. We should not remove ourselves and say, well, that's society, that's, let them govern themselves out there. If they want to sin, let them go for it. Jesus says no. He says you are salt, you are light, Don't remove yourself from the world. Instead, have an impact upon the world. Make them stop decaying and make them see how they are supposed to function. So, we've seen that we are to be salt and we've seen the warning there. We've seen that we are to be light and we've seen the warning there that we aren't supposed to be hidden. My third and last main point is be salt and light to bring glory to God. Why do we function as salt and light? What is the purpose of it? Well, Jesus tells us it's to bring glory to God. He says in verse 16, In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. The word praise there can also um, be translated glorify. So we're being told there that we do this to glorify God. Because... Uh, And we need to remember this because often with salt it brings cheer. We like the taste of it. I have made that clear. But we can have the salt, uh, we can have the meal without salt and still have the meal. And so people can be around us and we don't need to be salt out there and they'll still be the people that they are. And it's the same with light. It makes the place a bit more cheerful and we might think that's the purpose we have as Christians. We're meant to function as salt to make the world a bit more tasteful and a bit more pleasant to live in and as function as light to make the world a bit more pleasant just as a sunny day is a much better day than a gloomy day. Both days have lots of light but a cheerful day is such a better day and so we, get, we start to think as Christians maybe we're just out there to make people have a pleasanter life. No, that isn't the reason we function as salt and life. It isn't to make people have a, a pleasanter life out there in the world And that is something that even non-Christians start to think that that is the purpose of Christianity. I remember when we first moved into our place out at Campbelltown, we invited some of the neighbours over for dinner 
and this uh, elderly lady came over and she said, oh, I'm an atheist, you know, up front. She, she got that clear out of the way. But then later as we're talking and we're having a conversation, it turned to the state and what's going on in Australia and she started to bring up all these fears that she has of other religions coming in as immigrants come over and the different practices that they bring and she was quite concerned about it and she said, I am an atheist but this is a Christian country and they should accept our Christian values when they come over here. She likes the fact that the Western world is much of it has been built upon Christian values and that makes the world a pleasant place. And so people think that's the value of Christianity. It makes the world a better place to live. But Jesus doesn't say that. He doesn't say be salt and light to make the world a nicer place for non-Christians to live in. He says function as salt and light with your good deeds so that they may Praise your Father in heaven. That is the purpose of being salt and light is so that people may come and actually begin to glorify God. And that's what so often happens. People see you behaving differently from everyone else and they say, why do you do that? And you say, oh, it's not that I'm trying to make the world a nicer place. I do it because God says I should do it. And they say, oh, who's this God? And you say, oh, well, it's the God of the Bible. Have you heard of Jesus? And so you have this opportunity to share the gospel with them. And so, if you're a non-Christian and you're here today, I want to make clear to you that the reason Dremoyne Baptist Church is here is not to do good works in the community, to offer food, clothing and shelter to anyone who may need that, to offer the preschool as a service to the community. We do do those things, but it's under the overarching idea that that feeds into us being able to tell you the truth of Jesus Christ. That we do those things so that you may come to know God and begin to glorify him. There's this tension in the, in the, in the evangelical world about the social gospel and how much of our time should be dedicated to doing good works and how much of our time should be devoted to what they call evangelism, which is purely telling people about Christ. But the idea is that the works, what Jesus is saying here, is that the works come in under telling people the truth of Jesus Christ. The works should feed into telling people about Jesus Christ. We don't just simply do the works so that people may have a pleasant life. No, we do the works so that people can come to know Jesus Christ. And that's what we at Ramoyne Baptist Church should be doing. And if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I want to tell you that is what you need most of all. You need to know Jesus Christ and what he did at the cross, that he died for your sins. You need to repent and believe in him as your saviour. That is the one thing that you need most of all, not good works from us to make your life pleasant. You need to acknowledge Jesus as your Saviour and begin to glorify him today. But if you are a Christian and you're here this morning, I want to finish by asking you, how are you going at functioning as salt and light? How are you going at functioning as salt and light? Are you guilty of losing your saltiness? 
Do you put up safeguards in your life to prevent your saltiness being washed away from becoming contaminated by the world? Do you guard yourself from hiding your light, from keeping to yourself that you're a Christian and not impacting upon the rooms that you enter? Jesus says, instead they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Are you doing that? Every house that you are in, every place, workplace, room that you are in, are you shining as a light so that people know what is the right way to live? Or are you guilty of hiding your light, putting it under a bowl so that it is no longer useful for anything? May we all be salt and light of the earth so that people may glorify our God. Amen. Let us speak with him now. Heavenly Father, we thank you that we are the salt of the earth and we are the light of the world. We are so guilty of not functioning as salt of the earth, of not telling people that they, what they are doing is wrong and not showing them the right way to do things. We pray that you will give us strength so that we may not be contaminated as salt, that we may not let sins get in and make us useless, but that we may always be functioning as salt and that we may not hide our lights, but that we may make an impact upon the communities where we are and that people may know the right way to live And we pray that we may do this not to make the world a pleasanter place, but that we may do it so that people come to glorify you, that they may ask us, why do you behave the way you do? And we may be ready with an answer, that we do it because Christ loved us and we want others to know Christ's love. We pray that many people may come to know you through our good works, as we make an impact upon the community, that many people may be saved from a kingdom of darkness, a kingdom that is rotting away, and may become salt and light themselves, and more and more people may come to glorify you in this life and on that great day when Jesus returns. And we pray this in his name. Amen.